Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. I think it's great to be here. While you're still standing, go with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24. It's great to have all of our guests here with us this morning. We're so glad that you have joined us. Luke 24. And I want to begin reading at verse number 20, or excuse me, 33. Luke chapter 24, 33. Yeah. Bible says this, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and then that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And they rose up in the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. I I just want to speak to you uh, today from this title, Where Are You Running?, where are you running? The Lord bless you. you. May be seated this morning. This this story in the Bible uh, that we're going to dig into today is a fascinating story. Um, and and to get it started, I, I went to the end, but to get it kind of moving here. I want to back up and 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 sort of break down what's what's going on here. This is Luke 24 and uh all the way back at verse 13 is where this story begins and if you want to turn there and just keep your bibles open I'll be in Luke 24 pretty much the entire morning but uh verse 13 is where it begins and this is what it says now behold two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus which was 7 miles everybody say 7 miles that's a pretty good distance uh unlike today whenever you jump in your car for a a 7 mile trip that's going to be over in the blink of an eye but uh this was in ancient days so a 7 mile journey, that's a pretty good distance. And verse 14 says, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And verse 15, if you'll notice, again, we're in Luke 24, which is after Jesus has died on the cross. And so what things are these two men talking about as they're traveling down the road? They're talking about that. That is the subject. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This is awesome. If you're reading this, Jesus has just died, and here he is. He's just died and buried, and he drew near to them and went with them. And did they know it? No. Because verse 16 says this, but their eyes were restrained. So they did not know him. So they were walking with Jesus, and they didn't know it. And this is, this is really funny to me, verse 17. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you are having one with another? Why are you sad? 
Why are you sad? Translation is this. What's the matter with you guys? What, what's wrong? What's up? Why are you so bummed out? Jesus says, to the, says this to them as they're talking about him. Hey, what's going on? And then verse 18, the, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, and this guy, I, I hope you pick up on this. He's pretty high strung. He's like, are, are, are you kidding me? Are you, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things that have happened in the in these days? Like, where, like, can you tell how high strung this guy is? Like, I mean, he's like, can you feel his emotion? He's like, you don't you don't have Facebook? You're not on Twitter? You haven't seen the latest breaking news? Are you not subscribed to anything? Do you not get the newspaper? You do not know what's going on at all. How do you know? How do you not know? And Jesus said to them, What things? <laughs> what things? I I I mean, I believe he's kind of holding back a laugh right there as he's saying, what, what things? What, what are you talking about? Jesus listens to this man talking about how he died. And he's bummed out, and he tries to get him to tell him because the guy doesn't even believe that he, this guy doesn't even know. And Jesus is like, no, what? I don't know. I don't know anything about me dying. I don't know anything about me dying on the cross. I don't know what you're talking about, somebody being buried. What things? Please don't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor here. What things? What, what, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in a word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was going to be him who would redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Basically saying these women are crazy. This can't even be true. In verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? You see, he's saying, isn't that what the Old Testament was? Didn't the Old Testament say that that would happen? You could, you could say that they were see, what they were seeing what was troubling to them was only troubling to them because they weren't paying attention and they weren't listening correctly because his word had already said that this was going to happen, and that's what Jesus was saying. Didn't the Old Testament say that this is what was going to happen? You see, God speaks his word to us so that you and I can have faith, because faith comes by what? Hearing. He, he, had they heard what the Old Testament was saying, they would not be distraught now with what they were seeing, because they would be seeing it through a different lens. They would be seeing it through the lens of faith. 
They would be seeing it through the lens of understanding. They would be understanding that, hey, it may not look like it, but I believe he's got a plan. I believe that his purposes are still in place. I don't believe they've been derailed. I believe that he's just getting started. Jesus is saying, guys, you wouldn't be so stressed out right now through all of this if you had faith because my word tells you. And then verse 27 says this, beginning at Moses. He goes all the way back to the beginning. So we're going to begin at the beginning. He goes all the way back to the beginning, and he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh, I want a copy of that podcast. I want a copy of that sermon. Jesus goes meticulously as they walk the seven-mile distance through the entire Old Testament and shows all the things that were that actually were previews of coming attractions, if you will. He goes and he talks about the blood on the door and the Passover. And I believe he's saying, that was me. That was me. That was Jesus. He goes through the whole Bible and shows how it was all about Jesus. Someone once said that it doesn't matter where you cut the Bible. You can cut it anywhere, and it's going to bleed because this whole thing that I'm holding up right here, friend, it's all about Jesus. It, the whole thing is about Jesus. In the Old Testament, he's declared. He's hinted at. There's shadows. He's prophesied. But in the New Testament, he's on display. It's all about him. And that's what he's telling them. He's saying if you would just understand the scriptures, you'd understand Jesus. It's all about him. Verse 28 says, then they drew near to the village where they were going. And listen to this. He indicated that he would have gone farther. He indicated that he would have gone farther. What's he doing? He's fishing for an invitation. And so he always does. He will not kick down the door and come into your house. He indicated, oh, this is your stop. This is where you guys were stopping. Oh, well, I, I was going to go uh, unless somebody wanted to me just to hang out and stay with them for a little while. If, if, if somebody else had an idea, if somebody else said, you know, you know, you can come here instead. Listen, Jesus just basically gives them the space to invite him in, which is, I believe, what he does with every single person, every single heart. He knocks at the door. His spirit draws us, but we got to do what they did. Notice verse 29. They constrained him saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he 
vanish from their sight. This is, this is some amazing power. This is some amazing power. I don't think Jesus was kidding when he said, I have all power. He vanished. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So the Bible says they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. That's, that's quite the story. I mean, the Bible is filled with some amazing stories. This one, this one's, this one's up there for me. Now, most of you know that. Um, most of you know I'm not an animal person, and when I say animal, I'm talking about cats. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's just no good things to say uh, about them. Not a fan of small cats. You know, small, they just demand too much attention. And um, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but big cats, that's, that's a different story. I, 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 I am fascinated. Uh, if, if there's one thing that stops me in my tracks on scrolling through social media, um, it is it is coming across a clip uh, or a documentary clip of uh, wildlife, such as big cats. And one that I'm fascinated by is lions. Lions are a fascinating creature, the king of the jungle. And one of the one of the fascinating things about these animals is the way that they hunt. They're I don't know if you know this or not, but lions, they're relatively slow relatively. Like, I don't, I'm not saying go challenge them or anything like that. Like, a zoo, I'm going to hop over the fence because my assistant pastor said you're slow. That's a, They're relatively slow, all right? Especially compared to what they hunt. Think about it. Most of the animals that they eat are way faster than them. Lions aren't agile like the other big cats, like a, like a, like a leopard or a, or a cheetah. They can't change directions like really suddenly. They're going to tear an ACL or something, you know. They can't stop and pivot. And, 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 and so, of course, of the animals that they chase, those animals can do that. You talk about the gazelle. I mean, you just get ADD just watching a, a gazelle like they're all just all over the place. But lions, they're pretty much... Straight shooters. They're, they're like a coal train. It, it, it gets up and going, and it's, it's pretty fast, and it just can't stop and change direction suddenly. Another thing that lions, they don't use the wind to their advantage. You know, other animals use the wind so that, hey, I don't want them to pick up on my scent, and so they, they pay attention to the wind and, 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 uh, and, and make sure that they're upwind and all those things. Um, and we may think, uh, well, maybe they're just not good hunters the way you're describing them. No, 
they got a couple things going their way. Um, they're really good at hiding. They're really good at hiding. They're extraordinarily patient, and they work together. They're, they're the only true social cat. Their, their strength in the hunt comes from numbers and from the fact that they cooperate with one another. Oftentimes what a group of lions will do is they'll find a hiding spot and they'll inch up closely to their prey and they'll just keep on inching up closely. Basically, they creep up behind what they're trying to kill. All right? They're, they're in a good hiding spot, and they wait there. Meanwhile, a few of them from the pack, their job is to come from the front. All right? Follow me. When they start charging what they're trying to eat and go after, they let loose of that lion roar. I, I wish I could do it. I wish I had an audio clip because a lion roar is unlike any of the other roars. A lion roar, they say, can be heard from five miles away. Five miles away. They give one of those tremendous five-mile roars, and it just scares whatever they're going to go after into a frenzy. All right? And it would be too. Um, but here's the deal. If the animal knew that the ones that they heard weren't the real threat, because understand, their job is to chase that animal into the way of where the pack was hiding. Directly into an awaiting ambush. You know what it was? It was a trap. It was a trap. Smart animal. Now, it's like if you could speak to the gazelle, like if you could reason with that animal, if you could speak to these animals, if you could reason with them and you can tell them one thing, here's what the one thing they need to understand. I know that it's scary what you're hearing. I know that it's scary what you're feeling, but you actually should be running towards what's terrifying you and not away from it. If you would actually just run toward your fears, you would stand a chance of surviving uh, what's about to happen. The thing that's yelling at you and is roaring at you, if you came straight at it, you could change directions and they won't be able to. You have a better chance of getting away from it. You might live if you would just run toward it. And so it is in life. We see a perfect depiction of this principle in action here in Luke 24. This famous story where these two men end up at the end of the day, they end up full of faith. They end up full of courage. They end up fearless. And they end up running toward what they started out at the beginning day, running away from. moment, the absolute important thing that we need to understand, the complete difference in who these two were, what changed these men, verse 31, when their eyes were opened, 
That's when everything changed. That's when they went from panicky and insecure and frightened to full of courage and running towards what? I hope that that happens in this place today. I'm glad that we get to come in together and we get to fellowship together and we get to see one another. But I want to see Jesus in this place today because I know that just a few minutes with him can change everything. It's changed absolutely everything for these two men. Now, All of a sudden, they can't get back to Jerusalem fast enough. When previously, they couldn't get out of there quick enough. Why? Well, back in Jerusalem, had they stayed, they risked being arrested. Their lives were lit. Think about it. Jesus just got put to death. And we know in the coming days, many of his followers are going to get rounded up. And they don't know who's going to be on that cross next. They don't know if they're going to live or die. They don't know. And perhaps these two are getting out of there so that they don't get killed themselves. Maybe like Peter. They're scared, and they're, 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 they're trying to just gotta get, get, get away, and they're running away. They're running away because they're afraid. Furthermore, we could say that Jerusalem now represented a place of pain for them. It represented now a place of heartache for these two men. Why, Bryce? Because that's where they last saw Jesus. That's where they last saw their hopes and their dreams crucified on a cross. And when you go through a stressful event like that, it's difficult to get through that. That's Jerusalem for these guys. Some of you have a place. Some of you have moments in life, and you associate it with places where it happened at, and And to this day, you have a hard time driving through that town or looking at that certain thing or or, or experiencing something because you associate it with the pain that happened. You associate it with the regret. You associate it with the heartache. That's Jerusalem to these guys. And for them, it's just easier to look and, and to go the other way. It's just easier to put Jerusalem in the rearview mirror and forget about all that. It's unmistakable the sorrow that these men are feeling. In fact, the text says that this, that their faces were downcast. Verse 17, do you see it? It says this, their faces were downcast. Meaning it was emotional for them. They felt it. It was just clear on their faces. Their heads were bowed. Their shoulders were slumped over. Their faces were full of sorrow. And then listen to the word. Now, tell me if this sounds like someone that's full of faith. This is what they said. Jesus was a prophet. He was a prophet. Does that sound like a statement of faith? He was a prophet. What does that mean, Bryce? We don't think he is anymore. That's over. He 
was a prophet. And then we see it again in verse 21. We had hoped. They're saying to Jesus about Jesus, well, that guy was awesome. I'll give him that, you know. He was, he was, he was awesome. He was. Can we agree together that life didn't go like they thought that it was going to go? They had a certain picture that they had printed out of what these years were going to look like for them, and now their faces are downcast because their dreams had died. I think you'll agree that in one way or another, all of us can say that that's how life has been for us. And if it hasn't been, we just need to live a little bit longer because there will be things that you'll that that will come into your life that attempt you for your face to be downcast and for you to experience what these men are are experiencing. Now, here's what you need to understand: they're saying all of this to Jesus. They're saying this all. To Jesus. Friend, at any time we speak about our future as though our dreams were over, as though our best days were already lived, we're always premature in mourning the death of a dream because Jesus is always with us. And guess what? He always gets the last word. Only he gets to say when it's over. When he says it's over, it's over. But listen to me. Jesus isn't afraid of the grave. He's not afraid of death. He's not afraid. The resurrection is proof. What they're about to experience is proof that any time we would definitively say something's done and cannot ever be fixed, cannot ever be healed in this part of life, we'll never dream again bright. We'll never sing again. We'll never dance again. We'll never rejoice again. We'll never have that joy again. We'll never know what it's like to wake up without sadness that is stealing the joy that we should have in life. At any time we would ever announce that something is done, I wonder if Jesus wouldn't say, oh, really? Oh, what's making you so sad? Why are you so bummed? Why are you so, oh, Jesus, my dreams, they're done. My dreams are done. And we say that to the one who can bring dreams back to life and dead things can live again. Friend, all he's got to do is breathe. All he's got to do is speak one word. All he's got to do is open our eyes to the potential that's waiting. Oftentimes, We get to understand things about him because of difficulty we would have never known before. You ever think about that? A lot of times our relationship with God gets deeper because of some difficulty. Can I tell somebody here this morning that he always has a plan? We don't ever get to speak definitively about something being over. Even from an earthly perspective, it's completely over. How does this story end? How do they see Jesus and then what? They're able to do impossible. 
because of having seen something that previously wasn't visible, and that's who Jesus was. What do I mean? I, I, I mean this. In verse 29, they advised Jesus strongly to not walk any further than Emmaus, but to turn in. Why do you think they were telling this guy, hey, come on, you're, you're, you're not from around here. You don't understand. You need to turn in here because this. They knew that it wasn't safe to walk any further. Why? Because the Bible says the day was spent. They have walked seven miles. The sun was setting. Again, when you talk about it in the ancient world, going on a trek like they did, you're talking about natural roads, crude roads. You're talking about no streetlights. You're talking about Swanwick, Illinois. You're talking, I'm just kidding. You're talking about no cell phones. You're talking about no GPS. You're not talking about, you can't go on your phone and do the flashlight mode and, 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 and light the way. Imagine being in pitch black. They literally only could light a candle to light their way. And so Jesus acts like he's going to walk farther, but they know, however, however it was, was it two miles to the next village? Was it three miles to the next village? They know, they don't know. They know that he could die if he kept walking. They are fearful. You can't keep going. That's, it's dark. You're not going to be able to see. You could, there's, there's wild animals out here. You could walk off a cliff. Something. It wasn't a good decision. Who knows what could happen? And so they urged him strongly to turn in. Why? Because it would have been crazy to walk in that darkness. It would have been wild to walk out in that darkness. It would have been unheard of. No, we're not doing that. It's dark outside. That's how they felt before they saw Jesus. But notice, once their eyes were open, notice how verse 33 says this. Once they saw Jesus, what did they do? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. How many miles? Seven miles in the dark. Seven miles. In the dark, but they thought nothing of it, even because of all the risks. Why? Because now they were filled with faith. Now they were filled with courage. Why? Because they had seen Jesus. I believe that when you see Jesus, you're going to have courage to do what previously your heart was filled with uh, fear. I believe that you'll be able to do things that you've been afraid to do for a long time. You've been afraid to go and start a Bible study. You've been afraid to go and witness to a friend or a family member. You've been afraid to step out and be full of faith and step out and say, I believe that God can. I believe that when you see Jesus, you'll learn to run in the right way. No, sir, you can't do two miles in the dark. You can't keep going. It's dark out here. It's scary out here. Now they're going to do seven miles like it's no big deal. All seven miles we're getting up and going right now. It doesn't matter if it's dark. We're not waiting until daylight time. We're not. No, we're doing it now. Why? Because they got a message to tell somebody. He's alive. He's risen. We just saw him. We ate with him. 
We walked with him. Fear has such a way of getting a hold of us and directing our lives. If the past two years hasn't taught anybody that, fear has a way of crippling us to where we run away from it and not run towards it. We run the wrong direction because of fear. We run away from it. We got to learn how to turn that around. We got to le- I believe that you can reverse the fear. Whatever fear tells you to do, I believe you just reverse it. There's a rule of thumb in life that when you're trying to do something for God, when you're trying to live for him, fears and fear's voice speaks to your heart. You can oftentimes just slightly or just straight reverse it. What do I mean? I'm talking about like that gazelle. I'm talking about like so often when when we do what fear tells us to do, we think that we're running from danger, but we're actually running away from our destiny. We think that we're running away from death. We're actually running towards death. We're running towards the death of our calling. We're running towards the death of God's plan for our lives. Victory, however, in contrast to that, comes from facing what you're afraid of and going towards it if that's what God has called you to do. And you see this as you go through the Bible. So often a theme, this theme, it pops its head up. Think about Esther. Esther facing her fears, realizing that she was brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. What fear must have filled her heart as she walked uninvited into the presence of the king? If he raises that golden scepter, not it's over. What fear must have filled her heart? But you know what? She said, I'm going to run towards it. I'm going to run in that direction while fear would have been telling her, hey, let somebody else do it. Let somebody else go. You don't need to do this. But listen, if she would have, God would have let someone else do it. God would have let someone else do it. What did Mordecai say? He said, who knows if you haven't been brought for the kingdom for such a time as this. But if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. The death of Esther's calling would have happened. God would have given the calling to someone else. Listen. The question is never, will God do what he wants to do? The question for you and I is, will we let him do it through us? Will he find space in our hearts that he can move it? Victory comes, church, when we run toward the things that are scaring us. When we run toward the toward the roar, if you will. When we run towards those things that seem frightening to us. Esther ran toward it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they ran toward it. David, who had a God-given calling to fight Goliath. I love how the Bible doesn't just say that David faced off against Goliath. The Bible actually says that taking up his stones and taking his sling and his staff and comforting himself in the name of the Lord his God, he approached Goliath. He went towards him. He ran after. My hat is off to anybody who goes to fight a giant if they're just a kid, but someone who just runs toward the direction that fear would be telling him to get out of there no matter what, whatever you do. 
we have to understand that God often calls us to go to places that frighten us so that we can fully trust him, so that we'll stop looking to ourselves for the answer. Oh, man, I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. We're, we're, we're not financially set up. We, 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 we can't do this. God often calls us to go to places that frighten us so that we can fully trust him. Friend, the risk is it's necessary. It's necessary for there to be a risk. It's necessary for there to be a mystery. It's necessary for there to be moments of like, I don't know how. I don't know how it's all going to go. If there weren't moments like that, there would be no need for faith. If you have all the answers, if it makes all the sense in the world, there's no need for faith, which in essence, there's no need for God. Here's my encouragement to you. Use your fear to figure out what the enemy is trying to stop in your life. Because if God called you to do something and you start feeling fear, you know what that tells me? That tells me that it's the enemy that's really afraid. It's the enemy that's really afraid. It's the enemy that's afraid of what God is going to do. And so he's trying to discourage you from doing it. Friend, when you feel opposed in exercising a God-given calling, I believe that shows you how important it is, and you should double down on your efforts to get it done, get it done, get it done. Turn it around on the enemy. Don't be surprised when opposition comes. In life, the only things that are worth doing will be accompanied by great opposition. The resistance, it pulls against what we're supposed to be doing. The resistance will come against the thing that we're supposed to be doing. One thing I want you to note, however, is, is this is a principle. This is a, this is a principle. When I, when I talk about reversing the fear, it's just a principle. Because not all giants that we face are standing out in the middle of the battlefield. They're not. Not all of them are standing out in the middle. Another thing I believe we need to get comfortable doing is doing old things in new ways. Doing old things in a, in a new way. What are you talking about, Bryce? I'm saying it's not always going to be some glamorous cover of a magazine, David with his sling and his stone and just the flawless captures it. Oh, what a shot. It's not always going to be that. It's not always going to be glamorous. It's not always going to be some new adventure. What could running toward what you're talking about? What could running toward the fear mean in this season? It could mean something as simple as remaining when you feel like leaving. Remaining when you feel like leaving. One writer referred to it as this, long obedience in the same direction. I like that. 
that contribution that you make when you just keep digging in that same hole and you keep working in that same spot and you keep doing that same thing. It's not flashy. It's not glamorous. You know that person who's been to nine churches and they tell you it's all the other church's problems? With all of them? That person who runs out of every relationship when the goosebumps wear off and things start to get difficult? The person who quits at their job and the problem is always the company? Well, it was the boss and it was the employees and it was this person and it was that person. I told somebody the other day, I said, that's your problem. It's always something else. Constantly moving constantly shifting, and the problem is always something else. And sometimes it's all of these things that we do in the name of following God's call. I'm just following God's call. Friend, we become a tumbleweed, and all of a sudden, any time the slightest wind picks up, and we just tumble our way down the road. But what, what are you actually running away from? You ever stop and think about that? What are you running away from, being dependable? being known, these things aren't glamorous. The long obedience in the same direction, but here's my revelation. There are very few things more faith-filled than being faithful. It might not be glamorous to approach what you're doing, an old thing in a new way, but to approach it through a new lens with a new mentality that says, I'm just going to be faithful. I'm just going to be planted. I'm, I'm going to rush off, and I'm not going to get easily discouraged, and I'm not going to get easily defend, offended. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to keep serving where I'm at. That's That's true faith when perhaps the fear inside of you would tell you to bolt, but to remain planted. Friend, faith, faith doesn't always call us to go as our music comes. I want to say that again. Faith doesn't always call us to go. Sometimes it says stay. Sometimes it says stay. Like in Luke chapter 8, the story of the demoniac in Gadara. <laughs> Jesus cast out demons out of him, and he gets all excited, and he want, what did he want to do? He wanted to join the ministry team. The man from whom the demons had gone out of begged, the Bible says, to go with him. In his mind, he thought, I've got to be on the team. I've got to be one of them. I've got to be on their team. I've got to join the ministry team. I've got to be a part of this. He was all in. He said, I'm ready. I'm ready. He begged Jesus to go with him. The Bible says he asked him, and Jesus said, no. He begged He said, I want to have faith, so I need to go and leave this area and go. And here's what Jesus said. Stay. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. The man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Friend, he stayed. He thought it would be really great if I could go. 
it'd be really great if I can get to the boat with you right now, Jesus. And Jesus said, yeah, but what a testimony it would be if you stayed. What a testimony it would be if you stopped running away and stayed. Do you remember when the Roman soldiers got baptized by John the Baptist? They go to John and they say, okay, tell us what to do. Tell, we're ready. Whatever, whatever's needed, whatever we're doing. They thought that this, this, this change in their life meant that they had to just all of a sudden hand in their soldier uniform. I guess this means I'm not a soldier anymore. I guess I gotta, I gotta stop. It meant hanging up their boots. That's what they thought it meant. Here's what he said. Here's what John said. Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. All right. Now, when are we going? <laughs> when are we going to do this amazing thing? No, that's what you're going to do. Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you to be good soldiers, That the best soldiers that you can be as you follow God. Guess what? It's not a new thing. It's what they were already doing. But in a new way, a new approach. So many people are waiting the spotlight to fall on them, and it's time for me to leave. It's time for me to go. It's time for me to sail off and do the work of God. They thought their soldier days were over, but John says, no, 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 no. I want you to be a soldier, such a soldier in a way that honors God. It's not a new thing. It's what you've been doing just in a new way. Some of you, God's saying, I want you to be a construction worker in a new way, in a way that honors I want you to be a banker in a way that honors God. I, I, I want you to be somebody who bakes cakes in a way that honors, honors God. Oh, you're a cashier. I want you to be a cashier in such a way that honors God. Oh, I got to go. I got to get. I got to sail off. No, 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 no. I, I, you were all in a lane here this morning. We're all running in a lane and using. We should be using the microphone that he's put in our hands already. He's given it to you on your job. Just serve him and honor him the best of your ability it's not a new thing <laughs> it's an old thing in a new way be a good soldier old things in a new way just stand with me this morning i've kept you too long are you going to mess up along the way sure are you going to make mistakes absolutely but accept them and keep moving. Did everybody hear me? Accept your mistakes and keep moving. Keep moving. There's nothing more crippling than condemnation over things that you wish you could take back. <laughs> but you're human, and this is war. And in the fog of war, Brother Bishop, we do make mistakes. And I feel one of the things the enemy does is paralyze us with fear because he condemns us for things that we wish, wish we hadn't done and, and, and ways we've made mistakes. And it keeps us from fulfilling our calling because we get immobilized by fear. But I'm, I, I'm trying to encourage you, just walk in his love and move forward. Accept your mistakes and keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Just keep moving. It's not easy. It's hard. But it's one step after another. We build brick 
by brick. It's one day after another. It's one week after another. It's hard, and it doesn't get lighter, but guess what? You're getting stronger. The burden will always stay as heavy as it's always been. But if you trust Jesus, <laughs> accept your mistakes and keep moving forward. And along the journey, Try to see the big picture. <laughs> Try to see the big picture. Remember eternity, friend. When you know God's calling you to do something and the resistance starts pulling, it's a distraction. That's all it is. That's all that resistance is. It's just a distraction. What helps so often is to go to the end. <laughs> go to the end. Remember eternity. That's what Jesus did. They were trying to pull him off course and there uh, distract him and the resistance was coming against him. But John 9, 4, he said this, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. I hope, if anything, this message today has given you a tremendous sense a, a sense of the great and mighty things that Jesus wants to accomplish, wants you to do, wants you to perform in you, through you. I, I hope that it would ring true and ring out forever. But I also need you to understand that potential is perishable. Your potential's unlimited as long as you seize it while it's there. While it's day, because the night is coming. Brother Warren, the night is coming. The end of our lives are coming. All these things that he wants us to do. I've heard it said before that the opportunity of a lifetime is only good for the lifetime of the opportunity. Your calling, it won't last forever. It's perishable. It's like milk and eggs and bread. It will go bad if you leave it sitting there, thinking that you'll get to it eventually. The problem is God will just raise up somebody else. God will raise up another person. God will raise up another preacher. God will raise up somebody else. You just have the right of first refusal right now. I think it's time to rise up and Run towards what we're afraid of. Run towards the fear. Run towards what's scary. We're really running towards life. We're really running towards our destiny, our calling. I don't know about you, but I purpose in my heart, I'm going to run towards it. Where are you running today? As they begin to play and sing, let's just close it out with a few moments of prayer this morning. Would you lift your voice right now? Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.